You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. And now, O Father, we pray that you would send your spirit in might that we might clearly hear uh, your word uh, through your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, Mark Ginolette said last week that he gladly would have swapped uh, any uh, sermon text other than the one that he preached talking about gouging out eyes and chopping off foots. Feets. Foots. Listen to me. I'm from Alabama now, y'all. Foots. Obviously, Mark didn't look ahead to Mark chapter 10, where Jesus addresses the subject of divorce. And I would take eyes and feet any day of the week, Canon Gillette. But here we are uh, in uh, Mark's gospel, where Jesus is asked a question uh, by the Pharisees. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? This is the question that was on their minds. Uh, One, we know already that they're coming to Jesus in order to catch him up, in order to trap him, in order to trick him, because they felt like Jesus' ministry was opposed to what they had grown up with. In fact, acted contrary to the laws that God had given Moses. Things like healing on the Sabbath, interacting with people that were less than holy. And so they ask him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Now there were two prevailing traditions in Jesus' day concerning divorce. One was pretty wide open. And a rabbi said that if if your wife burned your toast uh, or burned your pita bread, whatever it was in Jesus' day, uh, you could divorce her. And the other had a very conservative interpretation that said it's very narrowly defined as to what would constitute a divorce. Uh, And even though Jesus is God the Son, God in the flesh, and every word that he speaks is actually God's word, as he has an unmediated pure line and relationship to the Father, how does Jesus answer them? What did Moses command you? And they said Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. Jesus says to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. You see, they had taken something that was an exception and used it as a license. Uh, The Greek here actually means literally the sclerosis of the heart. The hardening of the heart. And so it would be as if you go to see your doctor. And there's his little notepad or her little notepad there on the counter. And the patient, you see the patient's notes of the person that was seen before you. And there you see that it says the patient has a heart condition. I recommend that they stay in bed till 11 and they walk no more than 1,000 steps a day. And you think to yourself, that's the prescription for me. And that's exactly what they're doing here. Jesus is saying it was because of hardness of heart, because of sin, that God gave that commandment. In fact, it was there to protect the woman. Giving her that certificate of divorce actually protected her, not only in Moses' day, but in Jesus' day. Because she was placed in an incredibly vulnerable position. And at least she had that certificate that offered her some 
protection. But Jesus doesn't end it there. He answers them, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. See, even though Jesus could have spoken any word and it would have been God's word, what does he do? He goes back, first off, to Deuteronomy 24, where he talks about what did Moses command. And then rather than trying to extrapolate that on his own, he uses Genesis 1 and 2 to back up what he's saying. He uses scripture to interpret scripture. He doesn't just find something to fit in or my experience has been, but he says, what does God's word have to say? And so he goes all the way back to Genesis 1 and 2 and begins from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. We know that God the Father, although we call him God the Father, is neither male nor female. Yet in Genesis 1, we see him creating man and woman in his image. He created them, which means there's something about a man that reflects who God is. And there's something about a woman who reflects who God is in his character. Both of us, men and women, reflect our Creator, our Father God. And yet there is something about women that is different from men. If you've been married five minutes, you know that. And there's something about men that is very different from women. And I think it would be true to say what Jesus is saying here is that because even though men and women are different, that together in marriage with a husband and wife, it's the closest thing on earth that we have that shows us what God looks like. Men and women together best reflect who God is in his nature. Jesus is saying marriage is an ordinance of creation. I know that oftentimes, even though our tradition doesn't believe this, uh, marriage is, is often called a sacrament. Our tradition says it's not because of the biblical witness that it's an ordinance of creation. It's wrapped up in the creation of the world. This is what, it's not a Christian sacrament. That's why we say, well, if you're a Muslim, you can be married. If you're an atheist, uh, you can be married because it's a command to all of creation uh, to come together in marriage and to be fruitful and to multiply. So even in an unbelieving relationship, because of the inherent maleness and femaleness of a husband and wife, it shows us what God is like. And then he continues with Genesis 2. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. You know, before I was married, I always thought that this image of becoming one flesh, uh, I knew it was beyond the physical intimacy that a husband and wife share, but I thought it was this beautiful molding together of two lives. And then I learned it's like two planets crashing together. It is tectonic plates coming together. Whether they fit or not, your lives are being smashed together. Because when you become married, even the most trivial of things in your life takes on a whole new significance because you're no longer making decisions for yourself. I remember once early on in marriage, 
Lauren and I went to a UVA football game. We were living in Washington, D.C., and had driven down, and we had two friends in the back seat. It was a late game, and we're driving back, and I was driving back through Rutgersville, Virginia, which is the home of the greatest country music station on the face of the earth. The newest country they play is from, like, 1988. It's amazing, and I love it. Well, guess who doesn't love it? But it's, it's pushing midnight. The friends in the back seat are sound asleep. Lauren is in the passenger seat, sound asleep. And so I click it on 96.7, kicking country, and I'm lost in, in just this beautiful uh, country music that I just, well, I love it. And as I'm going there, I'm keeping it low. All of a sudden, the passenger seat raises up. And we get into such a knockdown drag out that the people in the back seat think we're all going to die. The car is going to crash. We're all going to die. I love the music. Lauren doesn't love the music. And someone once told me marriage was about compromise. Where's the compromise there? Because you see, marriage isn't really about compromise. Marriage is about sacrifice. You're no longer two. You're one. And at any given moment, someone is having to say, I'm going to allow my prerogatives and my rights to be steamrolled in order to give way to you. Right? This is the iron sharpening iron. It's not pretty. When I would read in Ephesians 5 where Paul talks about this, to wash one another with the word, I thought, well, that's kind of nice, you know, like a bubble bath or something like that. But then when I got married, I realized that's not what Paul's talking about. Because what marriage does is it alerts you to all the faults and sins and foibles that you were blissfully unaware of in the first place. I mean, it was when I was a kid, my mom would always send us out of the house during the summer, and when we'd come back in, the first thing she would say is, go take a bath. And when I would lower myself into the bath, all those cuts and scrapes and bruises that I was unaware of were made painfully known. And marriage does that for each and every single one of us. It actually shows us who we are in our brokenness. And yet Paul goes on to say in Ephesians that marriage, Christian marriage, this is where the Christian aspect comes in, is the closest thing on earth, maybe next to the church, to show us how much Jesus loves his people. Marriage for the Christian is about gospel reenactment. Marriage is about rescue. And if you're in a marriage relationship and you think that the greatest problem in the world is the other person, you need to take a bath. Now that's not to say, and I'm not going to get into it this morning, I think that Jesus was very wise to say what he said, and then when they were alone in a house, the disciples asked him again about this matter, where he began to talk about this is what would constitute a divorce. If you'd like to continue to talk about this matter, you're welcome to come to my house, or into my study, and I'm, going, and I'm happy to talk to you about it. But what Jesus is trying to put forward is what marriage is all about. And for the Christian, it's about gospel reenactment. And if you can actually see that the single greatest problem in your marriage, and I'm talking about normal marriages, I'm not talking about abuse or infidelity or anything like that. I'm talking about the day-in, day-out marriages that, that all of us are in. If you can see yourself and your singleness as the greatest problem in your marriage, and your spouse sees it that way too, that they're the single greatest problem, 
the sky is the absolute limit for the two of you. That actually goes a long way into understanding the one fleshness as we give way and sacrifice for the other person. Now, when Jesus taught this, in Matthew's account, which is Matthew chapter 19, after hearing all that about an ordinance of creation, reflecting who God is, the character and nature of God, and then the marriage being about gospel reenactment in the one fleshness of Christian marriage, the disciples said to Jesus, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. This is too difficult. Now, coming up, you're going to get the, the story of the rich young man with Jesus, where Jesus says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And his disciples say, if that's true, who can be saved? And often, like the Pharisees, what we're looking for are smaller camels and bigger needles. But Jesus looked at the disciples and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. This is all set in the context of these really hard sayings of Jesus, where he's saying difficult things and saying, Look, being a Christian... We're going to have to have hard conversations about things, whether it be marriage or whether it be about your eye causing you to sin or whether it be about taking up your cross daily and following after me. And even in Christian marriages, the divorce mind not only comes, the, the divorce word not only comes to our minds, it also comes to our lips. Now, in our family, we've decided. You know, someone asked, you know, have you and Lauren ever considered divorce? And Lauren is always quick to say, divorce, no, murder, yes. But it is a hard word. But Jesus gives us the answer to why it is a hard word. And what do we do about it? He writes, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. What Jesus is saying is stop listening to other people and listen to God. You know, the passage starts with, as was Jesus' custom, he began to teach because, again, the crowds were coming to him. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was giving advice to a preacher, I would say you might want to steer clear of the chopping feet off. You might want to steer clear of the Son of Man will be ashamed of you when he comes into his glory. You might want to steer clear of the talk about divorce. But Jesus doesn't avoid it. And yet the crowds continue to come. The word that he gives doesn't scare people away, but they continue to come and come in droves. Why? Because they want a word. And they understand who Jesus is. You may remember back in Luke chapter 5 when Jesus first calls his disciples and says, I'll make you fisher of men. He's preaching in a boat and the fishermen are mending their nets and he says to them, Simon, Peter included, let's go out and fish again. We haven't caught anything all night, he, they said. He said, well, let's go out anyway. So they all go out. They catch a net that is so big that it's filled to bursting and Simon Peter's response is what? He falls on his face and says, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. 
Jesus is going to say and do things that accentuate our smallness and our sinfulness. And there are going to be times where we say, Jesus, I just need you to get away from me right now. This is too much for me to bear. But then you fast forward to John chapter 21. This is after the resurrection. The disciples have gone to the Sea of Galilee. They're fishing. There's a man on the seashore. And he asks, have you caught anything? Not a thing. Cast your nets on the other side. And they do. And they bring in a great haul of fish. And John says to his companions, it's the Lord. And Simon Peter jumps into the water and gets to that shore as fast as he can. The same miracle, but two very different responses. What happened? In fact, just when Simon Peter says, depart from me for I'm a sinful man, think about it, because he's approaching the shore to meet the risen Lord Jesus. What elephant is there in the room? His denial of Jesus three times. I tell you, I don't even know him. And yet, he swims as fast as he can, to get as close as he can to Jesus. Why? Because he stopped listening to other people and he started listening to God. He knew that Jesus was the one who saw him in his brokenness and yet welcomed him in, who restored him. Feed my sheep. Divorce is a tragic thing And it's something that many people struggle with emotionally for the rest of their lives because it's never a one-time event. And this was played out for me with a former parishioner who said to me, I can't wait to get to heaven so that I can finally ask God forgiveness for my divorce. And I told them, you don't have to wait till you get to heaven. That forgiveness is yours now. You need to jump out of the boat and swim to Jesus as fast as you can where you're going to find forgiveness, healing, redemption, wholeness, and release. That's why Jesus says, stop listening to everybody else and listen to me. Marriage is a really big deal. It shows us what God is like. It shows us how God loves his church in the Lord Jesus Christ. But we've gotten so used to listening to what other people are saying about divorce and marriage, that we've lost sight not, of what, not just only of what marriage is in the Bible, but who God is in relating to us as sinners. And so this morning, for those of you who are living out your marriage vows, God bless you. It is for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health. But it shows this broken and world, broken and fallen world who God is and how much He loves this church. And for those of you who have gone through the awful tragedy of a broken marriage, swim to Jesus. Swim as hard as you can and run into His welcoming arms where He is there to restore you. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.